G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode two of the God's Word Today's World podcast. Today we're looking at the key to a godly life, which I believe is prayer and time in God's Word, the Bible. Our passage today is Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through to 26, and we join the disciples during a time of great challenge. They're doing one of the hardest things in the world, waiting. I really don't like waiting, and I would not be a happy chappy if I were in the disciples' place. Yet, they seem to handle it well, and there are some incredible lessons that we can learn from them in this passage. So please, join me today as I take a look at what we can learn from their patience. If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find that over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode two on the list. But without further ado, let's dig in. In episode one of God's Word, Today's World, we looked at Jesus' last command to the disciples, to go and to be his witnesses throughout the world. After Jesus gave them that command, they had a choice, to continue following him or to run and hide. They chose to follow him. The other thing Jesus told them was to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit arrived. While Jesus was with them, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. But soon would come a time when every believer received the Holy Spirit, who would help us to live lives that honored God. We join the disciples today as they wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through to 26, we read this. And this is the World English Bible British Edition translation. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had come in, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, continued steadfastly in prayer and supplication, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In these days, Peter stood up in the middle of the disciples, and the number of names was about 120, and said, Brothers, it was necessary that this scripture should be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was a guide to those who took Jesus. For he was counted with us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man obtained a field with the reward for his wickedness, and falling headlong his body burst open and all his intestines gushed out. 
It became known to everyone who lived in Jerusalem that in their language that field was called Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be made desolate, let no one dwell in it, and let another take his office. Of the men, therefore, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day he was received up from us, of these one must become a witness with us to his resurrection. They put forward too, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. They prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas fell away, that he might go to his own place. They drew lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was counted with the eleven apostles. So after the two angels told the disciples to stop staring at the sky, they returned to Jerusalem and met with the 120 or so other believers, including Jesus' mother and brothers. And they did what all believers in a time of uncertainty should do. They prayed. They prayed constantly. Sometime during the ten days during which they waited for the Holy Spirit's arrival, Peter stood up amongst them. It was time to appoint someone to take Judas Iscariot's place. And I love the care they went to to choose the right man for the job. He had to be someone who personally knew Jesus, someone who had witnessed Jesus' ministry, death and resurrection himself. Peter recognized the importance of the twelve apostles being able to say, Yes, I saw Jesus myself. I saw him die, and I saw him after he came out of the grave. And so they nominated two men who fit that, Joseph, called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And I love the prayer they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. They didn't try to have their own way, to pick the guy they best got along with, or the one with the cool haircut and the sweet robes, or the best speaker, or even the most convenient person. They wanted to know who God wanted to take the position. After they prayed, they cast lots, which was a common method in the Old Testament for allowing God to determine the outcome. And this is the last instance of it being used to determine God's will in the New Testament, because there's no need to do so anymore, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us who guides us, and when we pray for wisdom, God gives it. He also gives us his word, the Bible, for us to use to help determine the right choices in our lives. But in this situation, the disciples chose to cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. What I also love so much about this passage is their focus on God's will, not their own. 
They weren't just after the man with the best coat, the slickest hair, the highest degree, or the best smile. They were after the man God had called to the ministry. They were after the man who would give honor to God with his service and with his life. When we face decisions in life, how often do we spend all our time considering which option will best benefit us? Which will make our life the easiest? Which will make our life the most comfortable? When it comes to deciding where to move, are we moving because we believe God is leading us to a new ministry? Or because we really want that five-acre yard in the swimming pool? When it comes to which job to take, are we looking at the best way to earn more money or the best way to honor God with our job? My point isn't that we should only live in crappy houses and work crummy jobs. My point is this. How often do we stop to consider how we can follow God best when we make big life decisions? I don't know about you, but I often find that when it comes to making those big life choices, considering how I can serve God best is sadly often last on the list. Slowly that is changing as I seek more and more to follow God, but many of my life decisions have been devoid of consideration for God's will. And I suspect I'm not alone on that front. But how do we consider God's will when making decisions? There are a few steps we can take. And the first is to pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for clarity. James says that when we pray for wisdom and have faith, God will give us wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5 to 7. And this is the NIV translation. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So it's important to have faith that God will give us the wisdom we seek when we seek it. The next step is to spend time reading the Bible. Now, we're not going to flip to Habakkuk and find a passage that says, yes, buy a new car. But what we will find throughout Scripture is the principles by which men and women of God live lives that honor him. We'll find examples of people who please God with their lives, but also examples of people who displease God. We can learn a lot from both the right decisions people make, but also from the wrong decisions they make. And the more time we spend in Scripture, the more we become familiar with God's desires for those who follow Him. One trend that I notice amongst those whom God approves of in Scripture, is that they have an outward focus. And by that I mean their choices are, usually, defined by a desire to serve others. 
One of the first actions we see Moses take in Exodus chapter 2 is to rescue an Israelite being attacked by an Egyptian, even though by doing so, Moses put his own life in danger. Moses gave up a life of luxury and education in Pharaoh's palace that day. Or look at Rahab, the prostitute in Joshua chapter 2. Her life changed the day that the Israelite spies arrived. She protected them, and in doing so, God spared her from the destruction the rest of Jericho faced. Or what about the ultimate example of living a life that honors God? Jesus' life. His entire ministry was defined by service. Even though he is the Son of God, he served others on earth and died on a cross so that all who repent of their sins and call on him as Lord can have forgiveness of sin. And he rose three days later, defeating death, and now sits at God the Father's right hand. The life of a person who actively follows Jesus is marked by service to others. And so, When we face decisions in life and we want to follow God but aren't sure how, one question we can ask ourselves is this, how can I serve others best? When it comes to that new car we are considering, we might say, yes, I will buy a new car, but instead of the small flashy car, I'm going to buy a minivan because I know there are a number of kids in the church youth group They can't make it because their parents are too busy, and if I have more seats, I can take them to church events. The choices that plague the life of a disciple of Jesus cease to become questions of how we can best take care of ourselves and become how can we best care for those around us. And the good news is, As I mentioned earlier, when we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. He will give us the wisdom we need to make the best choice. And so my challenge to you today is this. Think back to the last big decision you faced in life. What were your first concerns? Your own comfort? Which option was easiest? how you could serve others, how you could honor God. I'd encourage you to take some time and really take a deep look at your motives behind the choices you make. Where does God fit into your decision-making process? Is he the most important part? Or does he fit in somewhere at the end once you're sure of what you want? It's an easy trap to fall into, and one I've fallen into many, many times. But the amazing thing is, God keeps giving us more chances to follow him. Even if we royally screwed up the last choice we made, we can do better next time. And the best way to prepare for the next big decision we'll face is this. Be like the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and pray. Don't stop praying. Pray in advance for God's wisdom. 
Pray in advance for a heart to serve God and others. Pray in advance for the strength to make the decision most honoring to God. Because oftentimes those decisions aren't easy or comfortable. Oftentimes it requires sacrifice, giving up our own desires in order to help others. But ultimately, which is better? To live knowing we made our life as comfortable as possible? Or to live knowing that God is pleased with how we lived our life? I know which I think is better. Do you? Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's Word to your life.